Yeah, you know, I, I, I get chills thinking about this. Life, life is obviously, it's, it's, it's quite short. Um, you know, it's, it's great to feel grounded. Um, but I think that like exciting experiences uh, across all facets of life make life worth living. Uh, and this was a massive, massive event in, in our town. And it was, it was just kind of shook me through to my core. You see the energy on, on you know, the, the respective kid's face. And yep. all you want to do is go play again. You're like, let's go around to the yep. field. You know, like, let's go, let's go knock the ball around together. We were really just trying to find a way to sustainably do what we love to do and help out, you know, people all over the world. Nick Costello. He's an adventurer, but not in the way that you might think. Nick has done some incredible things in his life. He's climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. He's delivered 800 soccer balls across the globe to underprivileged communities through his organization, Universal Dialect. And he's delivered a talk on the TEDx stage. But Nick believes that we can find adventure in every single day. He finds adventure in playing soccer with his friends on a weeknight and spending the weekend with his girlfriend. And so in this conversation, Nick and I discuss his framework to turn every day into an adventure, how starting a project or business is the fastest way to define your values and the life you want to live, how Nick balances his time as head of content at one of the world's premier growth marketing agencies, and how Nick is designing his life according to his values and how you can too. So without further ado, my name is Dan Russo, and this is Grow, the podcast where each week we bring on entrepreneurs, creators, and other inspirational guests to help you grow into the best version of yourself. What's going on, man? How are you this evening? I am good. I'm good, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Dude, of course, man. I am pumped to have you on. Thank you for being on the show. Um, man, I just want to dive right into it. So, um, you know, the first question that I have for you really is, um, and this is sort of foundational, and I'm looking to start a lot of my interviews like this, um, because I want to, I think it's pivotal for everything that you have said that you're going to say after this, uh, this question. I think it really frames it up really nicely. Um, so who are you, where did you come from and what is the environment, uh, that created Nick Costello? <laughs> really good question. Um, let's, let's just dive right into it. Um, uh, well, so my name is Nick. Um, I describe myself as an adventurer. Uh, and you know, we actually have a mutual friend, uh, that, that has helped me land on, on my identity. Um, but I, I say that because, um, you know, I've, I've just grown up. Uh, seeking out interesting experiences and growth. Um, so, and, and while, you know, I'm not always talking about, you know, jetting overseas, um, you know, or free diving with, with sharks, but really just like when I say adventure, I just mean new experiences. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a little bit about, uh, you know, who, who I am, if I could sum it up in, in one word. Absolutely. No, that's awesome. And, you know, I know adventure is something that you have, um, 
kind of not not coined, but I know that you have you have an interesting definition to it. Um, and so I, that leads me to my next question: is just what is your definition of adventure? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I like to define adventure as just anything new and exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, specifically. I often think, you know, a lot of people like, and we've, we've probably had this conversation offline too. Um, I definitely have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, just in terms of like, you know, what, what makes us happy or like, just what generally like, um, you know, makes humans feel right, uh, in, in the work that they do, just in their lives in general. Um, and I think like one of the, the answers, at least the solution for me is excitement, right? Um, and what I mean by that is like life, life is obviously it's, it's, it's quite short. Um, you know, it's, it's great to feel grounded. Um, but I think that like exciting experiences, uh, across all facets of life make life worth living. Um, you know, and, and again, I'm not, uh, when I say adventure, it's often easy to jump to conclusions about like, you know, uh, seeking adventure at all costs. But I just think like really getting excited about your life, whatever, whatever really you're, you're into and what you're going through. Um, leads to just feeling pretty, pretty good about yourself. Um, so that's, that's, that's how I typically define it. Oh man, I, I love that. And, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned, you know, what makes people happy, right? And I think in a lot of ways, that's what I'm trying to accomplish with this podcast is to figure out, you know, how can you do what are in today's world, um, two often juxtaposing things, right? I think a lot of people think that in order to grow in the areas that you want to and, and you know, grow as a person and grow in, in terms of chasing after your ambitions um, and also to be happy, um, some of those things aren't necessarily always tied. I think there's like two prevailing narratives that um, one of my favorite entrepreneurs, uh, Stephen Bartlett, he hosts the, the uh, Dire of a CEO podcast over in the UK. And he always says that there's two prevailing narratives that you either have to hustle until you drop in order to be successful or you have to um you have to uh you know meditate 30 times a day in order to take care of yourself right and obviously i'm exaggerating a little bit but i actually look at those as two extremes of the same spectrum right they're on opposite ends and you are someone always uh to me that has operated really really well in like that middle range um you know and so i guess i want to talk to me a little bit about you know um and I know that there are times in your life where you have um, kind of succumbed to, you know, hustle culture and like, I, and I think everybody does. And certainly there are seasons of productivity and seasons of, you know, hard work that we need to go through. Um, but talk to me a little bit about um, sort of a time in your life uh, when you felt as though uh, you were perhaps uh, burning out or burning yourself out uh, with work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think we're, uh, we're such good friends because, uh, you know, you know, I think, I think we, we've both kind of operate in, in that middle ground or, or at least, um, you know, we, we jam on this, this topic quite a bit, you know, it's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a narrative that like, you know, I guess it's just like created from some of the imposter syndrome that we feel. Right. Um, yeah. the reason I say this is because like high performers in general, high performers are often shown this narrative. They, they, grow up around generally like other high performing people. Um, and, and you wind up surrounding yourself with all of these like excellent, excellent people. Um, but you start to think that there's only one way to live and it's to grow extremely quickly. Um, you know, to, to always want more, right. It's, it's expectations are, are high and through the roof. Um, and it's this always on mentality. Um, and of course, you know, if you, if you look the other way, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem as desirable to slow down. Right. Um, 
So to answer your question, though, um, you know, after college, I, uh, I wound up working at, at larger companies and, uh, you know, in all through college as well. You know, I, I, I wound up um, playing soccer at the College of New Jersey, as you know. Um, I pretty much just had the mindset of like, I'm, I'm going to conquer the world, you know, like, and it's just so, such a naive thing, you know, when, you, when you're growing up and when you, when you kind of come of age, but you just kind of want to, to get out there and, and achieve great things, especially just coming from an athletics background. Um, but, you know, and, and again, hopping into big companies from there and, and seeing this culture and, and kind of like falling into, you know, that, that trap or, you know, what often people call the rat race, you know, you, you, are really interested in, in what's next advancements. Uh, you know, I, I found myself like just taking uh, different like financial exams while I was working at, at Bloomberg, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to, to become a manager in as short a time as possible. Um, you know, listening to a ton of Tim Ferriss and just trying to optimize every little facet of my life. Mind you, I, I do <laughs> love Tim Ferriss just in, in, in the right time and, and dose probably. Um, all this to say that, you know, b- between my experience there and, and the next like, three or four years really that, that followed. Um, I did feel like I was, you know, burning the candle at both ends. Um, and it, and it took me, uh, multiple different, like larger life changes, um, to come to a realization that like, I can still achieve great things, um, but not have to pour my soul and, and just tons of hours of my time, um, into solely achieving. Right. Um, and, and, you know, maybe, maybe we'll get to those, those experiences in, in time in this, in this show. But, uh, but yeah, I feel at, at this point in my life too, I just have this really good balance where I'm able to, um, to do work I love, uh, you know, to, and to enjoy my life out, outside of work to, to its fullest. Um, sure there are highs and lows, but, but, you know, most of it's pretty great. Dude, that's awesome. And I'm so glad that you're in a position right now that allows you to achieve that sense of balance that you talked about, right? Or that work-life integration or harmony, right? Because I know that you are an extremely hard worker and you're somebody that pours yourself into your work, especially when you love it, which I know that you do. And we'll get to where you're currently at and that balance. But I want to take it back um, a little bit to kind of kind of that, um, the kind of environment that you were, that you were created in just like, where does your story, you know, begin as a kid, right? Like, where did you grow up and kind of, you know, tell me about maybe some experiences as you were growing up that, um, you know, uh, got you to where, you know, before you kind of entered into the professional world. Yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, typically my, my mind goes straight to, uh, growing up in like an organized sports culture. Right. And, and I'm specifically talking about soccer, you know, is, is just a, such a, it's a huge, huge piece of my life um, growing up, right? Played at a, at a pretty high level when we were young um, and always, always knew I wanted to go play in college. Um, but that's actually where I, I think a lot of my, um, you know, the, the shape and structure of, of, of who I am now comes from. Um, there's actually this, this pretty just interesting story about my, my childhood and, and soccer as well. Um, I grew up in, uh, in New Jersey. Um, it's a town called Freehold. Straight in the center of New Jersey. Anybody that says yep. there's a Sully in North and South Jersey, as you know, you're another Monmouth County guy. Um, but, I am. But there man. Is indeed... We grew up about 25 <laughs> minutes from each other. That's right. That's right. And they're in they're in Central Jersey, so there is a Central Jersey. Um, <laughs> you hear that, all you non-believers? There is a Central Jersey. <laughs> make it make it well known. Um, yeah, and and honestly, just had a, a very uh, you know uh, just a great upbringing, and you know, amazing parents, uh, great friends growing up. So grateful, uh, kind of, kind of won the lottery on, on that one, you know, both in terms of the people I grew up with, um, you know, and, and the place I was living. Um, 
with that said, I too, love how you put that, by the way, won the lottery. That's incredible. Oh, a yeah. lot of people don't have that introspective um, awareness to be able to say that I won the lottery because of the things that I have rather than the things that I don't have. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate about you and uh, this friendship that we formed over the last two years is is your constant self-awareness and um, ability to kind of also, uh, you know, pick things out and just be grateful for them. So I didn't mean to interrupt your your flow there, but um, I just wanted to kind of bring that out really quickly. Uh, no, I, I really do appreciate that. Yeah, th- thanks for saying that Dan um and and yeah so uh this is one particular um event you know shaped quite a bit of my upbringing but um you know when I was about 12 years old so this is you know we're talking seventh grade um you know playing at a pretty high level in soccer um with a lot of my close friends you know a lot of my friends I grew up with also played soccer um and one of my uh one of my teammates uh his name was Graham Preston um, he actually, he got hit by a car while skateboarding. Um, uh, and this was a massive, oh massive event in, in our town. Uh, you know, is no, no one should, should have to, you know, lose their life at, at the age of, of 12. Right. Um, and it was, it was just kind of shook me through to my core. Um, on top of that, right. Um, Graham's father, his name is Scott Preston. Yeah. Um, he was, a, he was a pretty big time coach in, uh, in our area. And, you know, specifically he would, he would train a lot of like younger kids in just central Jersey in general, uh, mm-hmm. came, came from a very high level playing background. And, um, and so, you know, of course, just through this, uh, you know, his, his family suffered quite a bit. Um, but they were so resilient and, and this always strikes me. Um, Scott Preston spun up a soccer team in, in Graham's name. Right. And, and we were actually called, uh, the, the freehold legacy and the legacy being Graham's legacy. Um, and I was selected to play on that team. You know, it was a new team forming, had a lot of ambition, you know, led, led by this awesome coach and just great human in Scott. Um, so I was selected a number of my team, you know, my, my close friends were selected for the team. Um, and so the next, you know, five or six years of my life, um, were really, really dedicated to, uh, to this team and, and to a town, right. A town that I grew up in. Um, that, that was recovering from, from the trauma of, you know, a, a very horrible, you know, event that happened. Um, but I, I, I say this all to say that like my, my youth was really, uh, was really changed by, by the next, you know, six years after, after that event. Right. And the structure, the organization and the community that Scott's really built for us, um, yeah. sh- shaped my personality quite a bit. You know, we, we learned, um, how to work extremely hard, uh, how to work smart, um, we learned how to play, uh, you know, a very technical game and, and, and a high level, you know, soccer. Um, and that of course, you know, led, led to some of the underlying, you know, ambition that I have the drive, you know, to, um, to, to be the best person I can be right. It, it wasn't even just what we did on the field. Um, yeah. And, and to be humble about it and, and to kind of, you know, know where, where you come from as well. Um, so that's, that's kind of what led me to go play college soccer, right? And, and, and be in, you know, I played over at uh, the College of, of New Jersey, TCNJ. Yep. Um, you know, wound up captaining the, the team for a couple of years there. And, um, you know, it really shaped my, my college career, both in, in soccer and, you know, in, in the classroom. And, and that, of course, led to my, my work afterwards. Um, but that's, yeah. that's where it all started. Before we get into your work afterwards, I want to go back to 
and, and you know, and and you've told me that story, you know, before about your, your friend that died when you were twelve. But um, it's hitting a little bit differently now, kind of hearing it within the context of the show. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, why that might be. Perhaps maybe it's just because we haven't talked about that topic in a in a little while. But you know, I, I want to ask what. You talked about some of the things that you learned throughout playing soccer on the legacy team, um, you know, and, 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 you know, sort of as a tribute to, to, to Graham's legacy. Um, how did that affect you in the immediate, you know, in the immediacy of, and I know it's when you were 12, so, you know, but I, I'd imagine that that, you know, event has to have a pretty, you know, um, heavy impact um, on, you know, a 12-year-old especially. You know, one, one day your friend's there and then the next he's not. Um, what in the immediacy, what, what impact did that have? And, and was it a lasting effect? Totally, totally. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I get chills thinking about this cause it's, it's, it's one of those, um, it's one of those moments where, you know, I, I just remember, um, you know, I was at practice with him, you know, the, the night prior, uh, to hearing, yeah. you know, the, the news of the accident. And, um, you know, when, when I first heard the news, it was, it was just a bit of, a bit of that like 12 year old, like, no, like you're just wrong. Like what must be a different person. Like it wasn't Graham. Um, you must've messed up, messed up the name, you know, when you tell me that, because I know I'm going to see him, you know, tomorrow night when we, when we go to our next soccer practice. Um, so yeah, de- yeah. dealing with, you know, loss like that. And, and again, um, you know, I, I know friends that suffer a lot more trauma at, at a young age, but just like seeing, yeah. seeing one of your, your close friends and teammates, uh, or rather just, you know, Having, you know, him there one day and, and gone the next is, is quite traumatizing. The immediate effect, um, was a lot of sorrow, you know, and, and, and just like a lot of tribute to their family, uh, and, and trying to help out. Of course, you know, families get involved when, when you're that young as well. Um, it was amazing yeah. to see the support that they had. Um, and afterwards, you know, I'd, I'd say in, in the coming like year, right? It was, especially as this team, the legacy formed, it was all about like paying tribute. You know, it's like, we, we aren't playing for ourselves and, and it's, it's amazing. Cause there, there were just so many stories to come out of this, you know, just like almost, almost to a spiritual level of like, we felt that we had an extra man on the field often. Right. Um, yeah. and when you know that you're growing up in, in this, this team, this tight knit community that was formed, you know, on, at the edge of tragedy, right. Um, it's, it's really special. So, so even just like soccer growing up, it, it was never quite, you know, just soccer for me. It was, it was always about, um, you know, playing for this, you know, this, this friend of mine, uh, and for, for a community, you know, that, that had our backs. Um, so I, I'd say, you know, I, I always try to, to turn a tragedy into something that's, it's positive. And, and that was definitely yeah. the case from this, you know, as, as horrible as it was, um, Absolutely. a lot of people became stronger. Yeah. You know, I have to give you and, you know, just every member of that team and especially, you know, um, uh, you know, Graham's father, um, I think he said his name is Scott, correct? Yeah, I, I just got to have to give you guys all so much credit because, I mean, in so many situations, if you don't have the right community and the right people around you, that can be such a debilitating event, you know, in your life. And even if you do have the right community and the right people, which you absolutely did, it can still be debilitating, right? And I think it's interesting because I've never suffered a loss quite as impactful as, as that. Right. And especially at a young age, right. Um, you know, close to me and, and thankfully, and I hope that I never will have to. Um, but I can imagine that, you know, the, the tragedy part of it, you know, the pain doesn't ever really go away. I mean, you, you were clearly, you know, emotional just talking about that. 
right now. And, and thank you for sharing the impact that it had on you. I really appreciate your transparency and your honesty and you're willing to go to places that some most people aren't willing to, especially on a on a podcast interview. Um, but even though that, that pain is still there, I think it's beautiful that you guys were able to turn, um, you know, Graham's legacy into something that, you know, uplifted um, others, you know, and, and, and that was a really a joint unit and that, you know, probably changed so many other people's lives for the better. And that's something that I'm sure Graham, you know, that that's what Graham's legacy stands for, it seems like. So, um, you know, kudos to you guys for being able to turn a tragedy into, um, you know, uh, an opportunity to, you know, grow and create change for others as well. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. And that's, that's the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it sounds like, you know, and this is the first time that I think I'm making that connection, but it really sounds like soccer, you know, has always been, you know, since that moment has always been about more than just the sport for you. So can you talk a little bit how, you know, soccer has been a vehicle for you um, to, you know, kind of create change, not just within yourself, but for others as well. Um, and I think you know where I'm going with this, but, you know, talk a little bit about, uh, about how, you know, soccer is a vehicle for you to create change within yourself, perhaps, you know, through your college experience playing, and then also um, how you've been able to affect change for other people through soccer and universal dialect. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, at, at the risk of sounding, you know, so uh, sports-centric, um, it's, it's funny because, um, you know, for me, yeah, even as we got, you know, at with the, this grand, you know, uh, event and, and, and the story that unfolded as a result, um, soccer is, is so much more than a sport to me. Um, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to build community. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and also, I mean, the, the amazing thing about soccer, like world soccer, um, is that it is such a global sport played in countries all over the world, of course. Um, and, the beauty of the sport is that all you need is a ball, right? Um, not something that can be, be said about all sports, uh, nothing against them, of course, but it, it is beautiful. The, the adoption of soccer globally, um, due to the fact that, um, you don't even need a ball per se, like, a, a you know, functioning like rubber soccer ball. Um, and, and we'll get into this, but all you, all you need is, you know, the ability to tie, you know, some rubber bands together or, you know, uh, a couple of socks, right? And, and as long as you have something at your feet that you can kick around uh, with some friends, then, then you're, you're in business. Um, yeah, obviously such a huge part of, of my life. Um, and the, uh, the, the real origin of this particular story and, and the founding of uh, a side project that I have uh, called Universal Dialect, um, that's actually not, not too far after um, you know, where, we, where we left off um, in, with the legacy. Um, you know, when I was about 15 years old, me and, uh, and a couple of, of good friends that I grew up playing soccer with a lot of people from that legacy team, believe it or not, um, we were invited to go down to Peru. Um, we were playing at a, at a high level in New Jersey, and this was an event to go overseas, you know, to, to Lima, Peru and, uh, and play with a, a lot of locals, you know, in, in, in an organized fashion. So we brought a team down there. Uh, and, you know, there were a number of games that were, were set up for us in advance where we played um, against all sorts of different teams, right? And we played against the Peruvian, you know, the, the, the juniors national team, right? The young 15-year-old national team got destroyed, of course. I bet you really stank, huh? <laughs> totally, totally got destroyed. We, we didn't deserve to play them. Um, but then, you know, we, we played teams like that that had, like, funding yeah. from, from the government, right? Like, top-class facility, 
But then we played, yep. we played all these teams on like the outskirts of Lima. I'm talking like way out there, uh, dirt pitches, you know, uh, there were, there were goals with, with no nets. Um, and you know, people were playing with, with beat up old uniforms, right? Some, some hardly even had cleats. <clears throat> so it was, it was just dramatic. The difference, you know, between, uh, the types of teams we play. Um, and you know, so, so we're, it's this, this particular moment that kind of sparked, uh, what, what I wanted to do later in, in my life, excuse me. Um, we were playing on, on this, this, you know, this, outskirts of Lima, uh, our last game in a 10 day trip down there. And we were probably an hour outside of the city. And we just wrapped up the game, you know, playing on this dirt pitch, there's dust everywhere. Um, and we're, we start like trading shirts with the other team, you know, cause we had these nice yeah. like new soccer jerseys that were given to us specifically for this trip. And it's, it's a rich, it's a soccer ritual that you, you trade shirts after a game. It's, it's mostly done in professional settings, you know, when, when they have a a whole, you know, a bunch of shirts waiting for them back in the locker room. Um, but we traded shirts. I mean, we traded our nice New Jerseys for, you know, some beaten up old, you know, uh, shirts that these, these players, these young Peruvian players had. Then we go back on the bus, right? And we're sitting there and we're about to fly back to the States. And it's just like, we're, we're going to go back to our comfy, you know, central New Jersey homes uh, where we have, you know, just all this gear, um, or we're, we're probably even excited at this point. You know, we, we just spent 10 days on the road, uh, in, in a developing yeah. country, you know, that, that is Peru. Um, excited to get back to just always clean water, you know, and, and all the, the resources we have at home. Yeah. And, uh, and one of my buddies, uh, on, on the bus took his soccer ball, right? Took his soccer ball and it was clear that he, you know, something clicked in, in his head. Um, and he walked outside of our bus that we were sitting on and there was, you know, the whole Peruvian team came and, and they were just waving us goodbye. They're standing outside of the bus, thanking us for coming. The hospitality was amazing. He walks outside of the bus and gives away his soccer ball, right? Uh, he gives it to, to one of the kids that was there. And the look on his face was just incredible. You know, just like, you have just given me the world, right? Um, yeah. And it inspired our, our entire team. You know, it was probably driven by a multitude of factors. You know, the parents being there as well. It was like, look what that just meant. And our entire team got off the bus and we, and we gave away all our gear. Um, yeah. and this was just one of those moments. And, and, you know, I, I, I always am careful here because, um, I'm, I'm not a fan of like, um, you know, it's, it's like savior, uh, complex of like, you know, like white people coming down in, into, you know, Peru and, and doing something amazing for these kids. Now it wasn't about that. Like it was, it was about literally, uh, having the privilege to go play these people in their community. Yeah. Uh, and also having the privilege that we had more than them. And it's amazing that we could give, give them, uh, just a, a simple gift of a soccer ball. Um, and they, they could have so much fun with that, you know, like way, way more gratitude than, than we had about our things, our material things. Um, Absolutely. So it was really this moment that, that was the, 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 the seed, uh, for uh, a project called universal dialect that I spun up, um, you know, with, with a buddy of mine, uh, later, like all the way in, in college. Um, I, I don't know if you want to ask any follow-ups, sir. No, 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 no. I, I do. I do. Absolutely. So, I mean, look, just what an incredible moment that was. Take me, like, take me into the moment that you handed, you know, what, what did you give over to on that first instant, you know, that first moment that you gave something of yours to another, another kid, you know, that didn't have it per se, right? Like, what, what was that like? You know, do you remember what, 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 what did you give? Like, was it a, your Jersey? Was it a cleat? Was it, well, I hope you gave him the other one too. If you did give him a cleat, um, you know, was it a soccer ball? What, what was that moment like? 
the first time you ever did it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I do remember it quite well. You know, um, I, I I remember um, I remember giving away specifically a soccer ball, right? Um, and and it wasn't even a particularly nice one, but I think that's the beauty of it, right? It's like uh, it was a ball I probably had for many years, and at the time, you know, you're a kid. I'm like. You know, well, you know, and, and I, I almost hate to admit this on a podcast, but you know, it's, it's the, the world we grew up in as well. I'm like, oh, you know, like, I don't want to give away like my favorite ball, you know, but it's like, no, like you, you yeah. literally are, are, are giving this one thing that you have five of in your garage back at home. And how amazing is it that like, you know, it, all, all we want to do once we give away that ball, like you see the energy on, on, you know, the, the respective kid's face. And yep. all you want to do is go play again. You're like, let's go around to the yeah. field, you know, like, let's go, let's go knock the ball around together. Um, I think, I think one of the most beautiful things is, you know, I, I have a decent grip on Spanish now, uh, back in when I was 15 years old, you know, I did not. Uh, so the, the beauty of like handing over that soccer ball and the, and the look when we just like, you know, exchanged, uh, you know, a glance at each other and a smile, um, it's, it's really like, like this game speaks for itself, you know? And like, I didn't, right. we didn't need to speak the same language. Um, yeah. and we can kind of connect through the game. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know that, that's actually that's actually the story behind our the name of universal dialect yep. is the fact that all over the world anywhere you go if you have a soccer ball you can speak the same language and and that's uh, I love that that's really that's really where you know this all this all came from you know it, it took a lot of uh, yeah. a lot a lot of years of, of continuing to play um, you know and, and and just learning what we needed to launch this project um, but uh, we're we're sure happy we did so before we get to the to the to these sort of formalization of universal dialect you know something that i want to pull out there is not even just the sport as the universal dialect but but just kindness i mean at the root of it that's that's you know you don't need to i I think it goes to show that you don't need to kindness doesn't cost you anything right you know just holding a door open for someone giving them what you have whatever that might be regardless of whether you're you know a you know somebody from central jersey you know a wealthy person a you know or somebody that you know just just has you know their time or 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 a kind act to give right um it, it doesn't matter who you are we can always you know give give more right or give what we have and i think that that was incredible that you had that experience at 15 years old right and noticing that you had something that these kids didn't Right. And being able to give something that maybe you had multiple of soccer balls, like you said, in your garage. Right. Um, And like you said, it's not about, you know, I have more than you. So let me be charitable. It was just it was just a kind gesture. Um, And and I think that that is really something that's really powerful um, to pull out there. So kudos to you for for having that experience at such a young age and then being able to, um, you know, capitalize on it moving forward, because it sounds like that was something that really shaped you to, you know, again, continue to progress it, progress it, progress it until that official kind of formalization of universal dialect. So talk to me, talk to me about the moment that universal dialect became like really real. Like, like when did it like, you know, when did it, you know, form, when did you like create the name and and like, and how did that, um, you know, how did that come about like officially? Totally, totally. Yeah. Actually, I want to, I want to point out too, like, absolutely. I, I think like if you, if you were to give like that, um, the, you know, the, the story that would be on like how I built this, right, with Guy Raz, like this would just be like, oh, I knew from age 15 that I wanted to do this thing and it was perfect and I knew every day I would wake <laughs> up and want to, no, I mean like let's be real too. It's like, um, you know, I, when when you come back, even after like a, an amazing experience like that, this is just the reality. Like you come back, you're back in, you know, first world and, and you just like, 
you fall into privilege. And like, so, so I'm I'm not going to lie. Like I I didn't think about this again for another, you know, X amount of years, like maybe seven years. And and occasionally, occasionally something would come up and it would be like, remember what you went through and, and, and just like, remember those kids and like, they had nothing yet. They were so happy. Um, and you have reminders that kind of humble you. Right. Um, but I'd be lying if, if I didn't say that, like, it wasn't always on my mind. Um, so was there another moment then, or I guess series of moments that led up to, you know, years later, right? Cause I think it's really interesting. You bring up a good point. You had this initial, you, know, you had two kind of pivotal experiences, right? One was the passing of Graham that kind of strengthened your passion for soccer. Right. And then the next was at 15 when you saw the energy and the optimism in these kids' eyes when you were able to share something, you know, with them that was like a real ball or a new ball than what they had and were practicing with, right? And and that moment of kindness. Um, so how did those, you know, the separation of those two pivotal moments in your life, right? How did that lead up to the formation of universal dialect? Was there another, um, was there another moment that was like the aha moment that caused you to like, you know, kind of put a bow tie on all this or sorry, uh, uh, to put a bow on all this and, and like, you know, bring it all together. And what, what was the catalyst? Totally. Yeah. You're, you're one step ahead of me. Cause there absolutely was, it was, um, so of course, you know, again, you're, you're just living your life, you know, in, in, in the U S and you're, you know, not thinking about it so much. Right. Um, but what, what really happened for me is like when, it, when I, um, when I got to college, I really started to fall in love with, with travel as well. Um, you know, and again, I'd been a few places like that. That Peru was a bit of an outlier. I hadn't left the country too much, you know, up, up until, um, you know, my experience in college. Um, it was then, you know, a combination of like real love for, for like world soccer as well, like watching a lot on, on TV and, um, you know, and, and of course, um, playing all the time that uh, I was really interested in, in going overseas, right? Um, and that really started with, um, with first a semester in, uh, in Barcelona, Spain, you know, during my, uh, during college, it was kind of like your quintessential yeah. like study abroad experience. A lot of people Absolutely. wind up going to Europe, and and I did that, um, and it felt great, right? And I would travel around uh, mostly in, uh, in in Europe, um, where for the most part, uh, you know, anywhere you go, you'd find people that uh, that that play soccer. Uh, but it's also you know it's it's quite wealthy as well. You know, it's it's certainly not yeah. a, a developing. You know, you you won't find many developing countries, especially in, in Western Europe. Um, right. So, you know, but over, over time, like over my semester breaks, you know, I, I would work, I would save up some cash and then I would travel somewhere else. Uh, you know, it was kind of like Barcelona kicked off this love for travel that I didn't even know I had. Right. Um, no, so we absolutely. wound up going to, to Costa Rica and, uh, and, and finding just random people on, on, on the beach, uh, that wanted to play soccer with us, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we went to, uh, Morocco and in the desert, you know, in the middle of the desert, we found these, these <laughs> actual, like, you know, just, um, there were, there were local people, uh, they're, they're called Berber people, um, who are, who are natives to the area. And we played soccer with them wow. in the middle of the Sahara. Right. Uh, and, and throughout all of these moments, you start to kind of see patterns. And, and one of them is that yeah. no matter where you go, you'll find people that love the game. And on top of that, it often seemed like the areas with the least resources, you'd find even more people in love with the game because it's so simple and accessible. Right. Um, so, and, and, and what really drove, uh, you know, the, the idea behind universal dialect as, as a trying to start a, you know, a, a project and a company was I spent a second semester overseas. I, I actually took my, uh, my senior spring semester that last hurrah with a lot of, you know, college friends that you have. Um, I decided, uh, with my best friends, it's a little bit of a cheat code, but we went overseas together and we went to Shanghai, China. 
Um, and we, we actually, we played a lot of hooky. We didn't go to much class, uh, but we wound up, <laughs> we wound up taking a lot of breaks. Uh, we, we, at one point, I don't know how this happened. Um, I won't tell you professors, I promise. You, you don't have to tell them. Yeah. You can keep this a secret. Um, we wound up skipping like three weeks in a row of class. I'm not even kidding. And, and mind you, like we were, we were both like pretty good students in college. You know, we, we, we were, yeah. we were, um, t- top of our class in terms of our finance program, but we, we were kind of checked out by that point in the senior year. Yep. And for three weeks, we traveled around Southeast Asia. Um, and, and just honestly, a, a decent part of Asia in general. Um, you know, we went, went to, to Thailand, uh, you know, and then we, we, we jumped into, uh, you know, S- South Korea from there, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, now we're going, you know, uh, all, all the way to the East, um, spent some time in Japan, basically every, every single place we went though, we would find people that wanted to play soccer with us and yeah. they invited us into their beautiful communities and we played. Right. Um, so it was just during those moments where you're like, wow, there's, there's such a need for, for one, uh, just more of this game. Uh, and and right. a lot of times when we go to these communities, they weren't playing with actual soccer balls. They'd be playing with, yep. kind of as I hinted at earlier, they, they'd be playing with rolled up socks, rubber bands tied together. You know, at one time we played with like uh, a piece of fruit that was like, you know, basically just tied together like a couple of apples or something. Um, so all this to say that, you know, the idea came from like, what if we could create um, some sort of like sustainable project that could fund the giving of soccer balls into communities like this. Um, and, and honestly, it's also just an amazing excuse to go there and to witness this firsthand and to get invited into the communities to play with the locals and make these, these unbelievable connections for life. Um, so that's, that's kind of, you know, it was around 2018 where we spun up, you know, the actual, uh, project and, uh, yep. and, and, you know, from, from there, we just enjoyed, you know, a, a long run, especially before the pandemic, it, you know, it was about a couple of years, of actually executing this, uh, and, and yeah. you know, and, and going out there and doing some business to fund the giving of soccer balls and then to visit these communities. I mean, man, that's incredible. Uh, how many trips did you guys organize in order to, and, and so I guess there's two questions here. How many trips did you organize? And also explain to me a little bit, like how did the business model work, you know, um, and, and perhaps how did it evolve over time? Totally, totally. I'm going to keep, um, you know, the, the talk about the business side, uh, I'm going to keep it short, you know, just because it's a, a small you know, piece of, of what we're talking about. Um, but what we were doing was we were, uh, we were, we were selling clothing, right? Um, there, there's a whole another story. This could be, you know, its own podcast episode on, on like how we actually created this business. Um, but we actually spun up an MVP where we sold like soccer specific clothing. Uh, a lot of it yep. casual wear for soccer players here in the U S mostly yep. in, in Europe. Um, and for every two items of clothing that someone would purchase from us, we'd give a soccer ball to a kid in need, right? Um, so as we launched and we had, you know, a lot of these orders coming in, you know, it, I'm skipping over a lot where me and my business partner did a lot of work on, on getting this set up and running. Um, <laughs> it wasn't an overnight success. <laughs> it, was, it was not uh, at, at all, um, you know, and, and some might argue it, it, it was never a fully fledged successful business and that's fine with us. Um, but, you know, we were able to fund a lot of soccer balls, um, you know, and all in all, at, at this point right now, um, we funded uh, over 800 soccer balls and we've delivered yeah. uh, almost all of them. I think we're rounding out our, our last 100 and we actually have an upcoming trip where we should be able to pull that off. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and trip wise, you know, I believe we've run about six trips now. 
um, to developing countries. And it's, it's been all over. Um, you know, we, we've been awesome. uh, in Africa multiple times, uh, Indonesia. Um, you know, we, we've been down to South America uh, and Central America as, as well. Um, actually, the most it's recent incredible. trip was um, Guatemala in, uh, in January, like late January of 2020, right before the pandemic really hit. Dude, that's so awesome. So it's, you said eight <laughs> trips. I would say, I, I think I said around six. Six trips, sorry. Six trips. And then how many soccer balls? Uh, about 800. We're working on our oh last God. few. That's awesome. I mean, so first of all, that's an incredible accomplishment. And you said that, you know, some could argue whether it was a successful business or not. That is success to me, right? You set out to do what you wanted to do and you're still doing it, right? Um, and that's, I think, what's what's incredible. Perseverance is success in many, many ways, right? Regardless of scale or quantity or frequency of, you know, the trips and the balls given, you're doing it and you've successfully done it, right? So, you know, anti-success or, you know, failure would be, first of all, I really don't believe that there is failure, but failure would be if you gave up on it or you didn't give a ball, like you've successfully run this. So by, by my count, it is absolutely a success um, for sure. I want to, I want to go back to something that you said. You said that a lot of the places that you visited, especially early on when you were kind of traveling throughout this, you know, the Sahara and Thailand and all these different places, you found that it was like really resourceful of, you know, the, the people there that if they didn't have a soccer ball, they taped fruit together or socks or like, and that's just so cool to me because, um, it takes me back to like when we we're kids, right? Like, you know, if we were bored out of our minds, granted, we had plenty of more probably, you know, privileges as you know just being in the united states you know you know but i, I remember playing kick the can and just manhunt and all these things that you didn't actually need um you know equipment to play with right you didn't need a basketball hoop you didn't need a football you didn't really need anything you know you just needed like a, a an empty rub you know can or carton to play kick the can with what did that resourcefulness that you witnessed did that play into um you as an entrepreneur or you as a you know as a worker yeah yeah that's a really good point um, you know, it, it's actually pretty funny too, because like, we know that like, if we never entered the picture in a lot of these communities, it'd be fine, you know? And, and we love that. It's like, <laughs> we, we always like, we, we loved like a few different like models that we, we tried to you right. know, build our company after. Of course you have Tom's right. And, and giving up, yep. you know, a pair of shoes for every pair of shoes sold. Um, there, there are many others. Charity water, of course, is such a great example. Yep. Um, you, and you have a lot of like organizations that are like, uh, oh, sorry, Bombas as well, like socks for homeless shelters. They're all doing amazing work. Um, we always wanted to help in the best way we could, but at the same time, like we we we're, we're not solving like you know like world hunger or clean water. Um, those are things that right. like also like to be completely honest, at least in our opinion too, they require like a lot of like policy change, uh, you know, and and a, and a lot of money. Uh, and this is always you know it's been a relatively um, you know a small project. Um, we just wanted to like inspire a little bit of like fun and joy. Right. So, so yeah. yes, like trading out, you know, like something that these, uh, uh, the, the kids just like, you know, from, from these developing countries, um, built, you know, and they're probably bummed out about it. They're like, oh, I wish we had a ball. Um, so when we're able to kind of, you know, come in and, and, and deliver on that and then play with them, um, it's, it's such a good feeling. It's just about, uh, fun. And, and actually we even tie it back to, you know, this, this word adventure, because what happens when a kid puts a soccer ball at their feet is, Nothing but an adventure. They just run all over the place, excited. Uh, you know, it, it's just just pure uh, joy, right? Movement, motion, energy. Um, but yeah, getting getting back to your your key question here is like, you know, what what is it? You know, 
what does it mean to be resourceful or what, what have I been able to be resourceful with? Um, I think just like the way that we put this project together was fairly yeah. resourceful, you know, like coming out of school, like I still had no clue about the real world. Right. And like what, <laughs> what it means to like, actually like try to run a business, um, you know, try to grow yeah. something in general. Um, so I, I find it just like, that was the best learning experience of my life. Those early, you know, two years post-college where I'm trying to figure this all out. Like while, while mind you, like while like working a full-time job that I didn't really yeah. want to be in. Um, I think yeah. there's something like about like just the time management that has to go into that. that and honestly, a little bit of the yeah. hustle, right? That's another reason why I feel like I was probably a little bit burned out at the beginning was my free time was all being poured into, you know, another project that I wanted to grow more than I even wanted a career, right? Um, right, right. So, yeah, I, I suppose that's how I, you know, I think about that. I'm, I'm very grateful now that I feel like I have much more uh, free time to tackle the things that I want to tackle and to work on projects that I want to work on. Um, but yeah, in those early years, it was, it was key to be, you know, resourceful with, with my time and money. Of course, you know, we're coming out of, of school, having to, to pay off that, you know, uh, as well yeah, as not absolutely. having a, you know, a real job using money and time wisely, you know, in those couple of years post-college, I think is really important. How did you, um, I know that at one point you took universal dialect full time. How did that experience shape the intentional approach that you now take with designing your life. Um, that is a mantra that you've, you know, thrown into our conversations over and over again. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about that um, right now. So how did, how did the experience of, of taking Universal Dialect full-time really affect how you design your life now? Love this question. Yeah. So coming from, you know, and, 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 we didn't get into all this and it's not even important, but like, uh, you know, I, I worked at Bloomberg, right. And then I, I wound right. up working for this fast growing startup called hotel tonight. We got acquired by Airbnb. Right. And I was, I was working at Airbnb, which was also it's, it's still a very big company, uh, with, yep. with thousands of employees. Right. So I came from like a lot of this, like structure, um, office working, uh, more than your typical nine to five would be, right? It's, it's, these are grind, like usually like minimum, probably about 10 hour days, uh, maximum, much more than that. Right. Not like, right. not like super fun. Um, I saw through entrepreneurship, um, in general, a different way to live. Um, and, and, you know, it's look, we're, we're all like living in this world and we have to make money to just be able to like afford our, our most basic expenses. Even if we're able right. to, to shrink our expenses and, and desire less, I've been constantly working on, uh, we still do need to earn some, some income. Right. So I, I do yep. find entrepreneurship in general, um, as a great way to kind of just like live the life you want to live. I, I was, you know, especially just during those first years of work, I've, I wanted more time to, uh, to, to learn and grow myself things that were interesting to me, right. Not just structured, you know, uh, office, office work that I was doing at, at those yep. companies or computer work rather. Um, and I also like, I wanted to be able to, you know, go work out in the middle of the, in the middle of the day if I wanted to, or, um, or, yep. or you know, uh, maybe it was even just like, uh, you know, take, take a long break to go like have like, you know, a, a meal with a close friend. Um, yeah. so, so obviously there's, there's a, a lot of privilege in like being able to do what you want when you want. Uh, and it's, it's a, it's a freedom, um, you know, to, to be able to do that. It's, it's very freeing. Um, yeah. so when I wound up like, you know, really investing, all of my time into universal dialect, um, you know, it was, it was a matter of like eight or nine months where I was able to do that. 
Um, and it was, it was beautiful. You know, I, I was designing a life that, uh, you know, I would certainly grind, you know, and, and there were times that I spent many hours working, but I learned how to work very smart in chunks when I, when I, when I got into a groove, right. And that allowed much more free time in a given day. You know, when, when you don't have to be in a certain spot, you're able to kind of just like batch your work and get stuff done, uh, in, in, in way less time, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean now even in my setup, I have, I, I do work for, for a company, uh, it's a very small company. It's very entrepreneurial. But I designed my own schedule. You know, I, I work for the most part uh, at, at any time that I that I want to be working, um, and I, I just you know I'm able to get that work done. Um, you know uh, how how I want to. So I'm able to to do a lot of things in, in the free time because of that. Uh, things things that make me happy, things that make me feel grounded, yeah. and uh, and and you know plenty of adventures. Absolutely. So in that time that you were an entrepreneur, right? That you were working on Universal Dialect full-time for those eight or nine months, it sounds like you had a unique experience with that entrepreneurship and that you were able to actually um, live a little bit more of a freedom lifestyle where you did work obviously very hard because entrepreneurship is a daunting and often time-absorbing career choice, if you will, right? But at the same time, it seems like you were able to also structure it in a way that you did have that free time. Did you ever feel constricted by entrepreneurship? Because what what I often hear is that, you know, people, you know, me included, right? I got, you know, seduced into the idea of being an entrepreneur coming out when I was 22 because all I paid attention to was Gary Vee and, you know, just a ton of these entrepreneur guys. And I basically equated entrepreneur with success and happiness. And I'm much more self-aware now knowing that perhaps one day I will become an entrepreneur, right? But regardless of whether I'm a founder or not, I can operate entrepreneurially. But the narrative that I told myself was that I have to work my butt off. I have to work my ass off in order to become an entrepreneur. And anything short of that was not happiness and not successful enough. Yeah. And that narrative was toxic to me in my early career. I was not happy no matter how much I achieved, no matter how much I was, I worked, right? Eight, 10, 12 hour days, no matter what, I never was satisfied. And it was very, very toxic. And that's when I started to burn my own self out. Um, not to make this about me, but um, in that experience, what I learned was that, you know, entrepreneurship or, you know, even operating entrepreneurially within a company, right? If you work so hard and you don't really take stock of what you have in the moment and and sprinkle in that freedom to be able to go do meaningful things with the people that you love, right? Whether it's with friends and family or just taking the downtime to take care of yourself and go work out and have a you know meaningful conversation or lunch with a friend, right? If you don't do those things, then the work that you are doing is not sustainable, right? And also you're not really fulfilling yourself to a point of happiness. Um, anyway, because those things are also important to feed your happiness as well. So I guess my point is, did you ever feel constricted by entrepreneurship or, you know, and, and what was the reason for transitioning back into, um, back into, uh, you know, a, a full-time role with a company? Totally. This is such a good question. And, and something that I loved what you said is like, um, yeah, I, I think like there, everyone wants to be an entrepreneur and to make their own schedule. Um, it's you know, sexy. It is. It is. It <laughs> totally is. And you know, I fell into that as well. It's 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 such a beautiful you know dream, right? Um, yes. And yes, there's also a bit of a toxic culture around entrepreneurship in general. And I mean, this flows down from you know from from the top of people who build companies. I think like 
you know, there's always just such a good Naval quote from, from back in like, you know, God, this is probably 2012, but I'm sure it, it holds even more true now. It's never been easier to start a company. It's never been harder to build one, right? Um, it's so easy. You, you can, you can buy a domain name, you know, file your, your, you know, company name and, uh, and open up a Shopify store tomorrow if you yep. want to. You can. And then you run a business. You're an entrepreneur. Great. Go build it, right? <laughs> it's so much harder. Um, I have, I have a couple of different points I want to hit on this one just because I think this is so, so important. Um, I did feel constrained, right? I, I was really like, what I was trying to do was, was, was solve this problem with a good friend of mine who was, who was my business partner, Sean. Yep. Um, we really, really wanted to make an impact. And that's like why we created a social mission company. Like without that, we wouldn't even be doing it. It was something that would literally, you know, have us waking up excited every day. That was number one, most important. Second piece of it was we also did want to build, you know, basically what was a lifestyle business. You know, we were not interested in ever raising capital for this thing. Uh, you know, we, we wanted to be able to just fund it with our, our, our day jobs until it got enough traction. Um, and we were also, you know, very much like, like we're against like hyper fast growth that kind of leads to companies burning out or again, you know, taking yeah. on or needing investment in order to grow only to burn out later, Right. We were really just trying to find a way to sustainably do what we love to do and help out, you know, people all over the world. Turns out that's actually, it's very hard. Uh, and, and I actually don't know many companies that are able to do this anymore. Um, it's a little bit of a, a thorn in, in my side, if you will, because, um, you know, if, if you're starting a company, the, the truth of the matter is, um, I think it, in general, you know, you're, you're ready, you have to be ready for like five years of just grinds to grind it out and to, to get traction. Um, and, yeah. and the reason is because it's, it's very, very competitive, um, you know, and, and, and of course you even have like an amazing product and, and it, it's just going to require a bit of grind. Um, and yeah. I kind of realized along the way too, it's, you know, like we, we, of course we could have done so many things better, uh, in, in our early days to set us up for like way more success, like now. Right. And now we've, we've kept it as a small project, not interested in, in growing it, you know, to, to any degree besides, uh, how many hours we're able to, to operate it now. Right. Um, but with that said, it's like, we also like, we like, at, at least I can speak for myself and, and not so much Sean, we, we both, you know, Sean at the time too, had a full, you know, he had a day job and he wasn't able to, to pour yeah. a ton of time into this. Um, I wasn't interested in working, uh, you know, 15 hour days just to make, make this thing work. Um, and, and that's a sad, yeah. it's a sad realization and, you know, I want to be able to help. Um, but there, there are many other ways I can, I can help, uh, while still, you know, focusing on those important things. Uh, focusing yep. on time with friends, family, time exercising, et cetera. And, yeah. and I wasn't able to, to kind of, um, you know, to check all those boxes, if you will, or blend those um, as well as I would have liked to. And that's one of the reasons why we had to scale it down. I mean, that's such an incredible self-awareness and self-realization from you to be able to realize that. And, you know, it's interesting because you were someone who took the dive, right? You started a company, you took it full time, and you made a realization that said, you know, I don't want to spend the amount of time that it would take to put into this to make this thing successful. Even if I put in this time, it doesn't mean guaranteed that it's going to mean success, right? And I think that's the hallmark thing. If you can ask yourself the question, if anybody is considering being an entrepreneur that's listening to this, you need to ask yourself the question, are you going to enjoy the time that you're spending, and even when you don't enjoy it, does thinking about the end goal, the mission, the why that you're doing this thing, does it 
is going to carry you through that. There's that great Steve Jobs quote that you have to, you know, and I hate this word passion because I think it's overused and I think it's actually a little bit of, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, finding your passion is probably some of the worst advice that the self-help world still permeates. I can't stand it. Um, and we'll talk, we can talk about that in a whole other conversation. Um, but you know, if you can find the Steve Jobs quote is essentially if you can, you have to be passionate about what you're doing. You have to love it because it's going to be freaking hard. It's going to be so hard. It's going to be harder than anything that you've ever done, most likely, to build that company, to be an entrepreneur. So if you don't love it, you're going to quit along the way. Yeah. So um, and, but if you do love it, that's what's going to and that if that love is strong enough. That's what's going to, you know, help you persevere through the really tough times that you're going to go through. Um and I think what what you know what you made the self realization was it was the decision that's that you said I don't want to spend fifteen hour days on this right I don't want to spend it sounds like you don't want to spend fifteen hour days on pretty much you know any you know work necessarily right obviously you know maybe days you know stand out you know you know you have to put in work you know x y or z but talk to me a little bit about how you came to that realization and and you know how is that decision affecting your work life balance or integration or whatever phrase you want to use now. Well, here, I'll, I'll put it this way. Cause I, I couldn't agree more. Um, the realization was that given the nature of how we set up everything, our model, yeah. um, just what we do, I didn't see an opportunity to even grind out, you know, 15 hour days and make as much of an impact as I could doing other things. So here, let, let, let's, let's take a step back for a second too. It's like, if I knew, even, even if I had, like, if there was, Again, you know, we hate this word as well, but like passions there, the interest level and like the problem that we're solving is, is big enough that we're like, we really want to do this work, right? We're committed to doing this type of work. But then when you think about it, if there's no, like, if you know for a fact, and you know, we've, we've run a lot of analysis on this too, is like, well, if we just put more time and, and effort into this, can't we get over this hurdle and like really get traction and, and, you know, for lack of a better term, like blow this thing up and make it huge and be able to help tons of people. If that was a possibility, then I would probably want to just stick with it and, and grind it out and get there. Um, you know, there would be a light on the other end of the tunnel, but we didn't see that. And, and really, like, this is a realization to say, like, well, hey, like, I could go, like, work a pretty, you know, interesting job that provides me with flexibility at this point. Um, and now, you know, I, I have an income. I can, first of all, run the project on a much smaller scale. So we're still generating, you know, plenty of soccer balls to go overseas um, you know, I've, I've ample time off to go and run these trips and we still run them. Um, now I also have an income that I can take down, you know, to those countries and affords, you know, me the ability and the privilege, right. To give even more. Um, so, so basically right. we've just distilled what we loved about this, this, what this project that we were running in the giving and, you know, traveling to these developing, you know, countries and, and playing soccer with the communities We've taken the best parts, we've stripped that out, and now we just focus on those. And we find another means to, you know, to make our living. Um, so it's sometimes discouraging when you're like, all right, the one thing that I really love, I would love to make that my main source of income. But at the same time, like that's not just, that's not how the world works. You, you, there are plenty of people that can make that happen. And it's amazing yeah. when it does. Um, yep. But it's not always a reality. And that's perfectly fine. You know, and, and I love the yeah. fact that I'm kind of in a, a position where I, I do love what I do. You know, is it the greatest of my passions? Uh, you know, cer certainly not, right? But I love it and I'm good at it. Um, and I'm, I love to apply the free time that I have to other things that, you know, are, are much more important to me, right? Absolutely. And I know that you're someone who's constantly optimizing. And so first of all, I love, again, the self-awareness that you have to have, but also the courage to say, you know what? 
this isn't going, this is the reality, right? Because I think oftentimes what happens is, especially as a younger version of myself or people, and I'm not trying to characterize just as young people, right? I'm sure other, you know, people throughout varying ages and experiences have this happen to them. But oftentimes I think it's with young people and, and I still even struggle with this, right? Is that you need a dose of practicality and reality when you're thinking about what you're going at, what you're passionate about, right? You know, it's oftentimes, you know, when you come out of school, you're like, all right, cool. I want to go change the world, right? And I want to just, you know, I want to make money doing this or that thing, right? And certainly it's viable to, you know, now be a social media influencer or a gamer, right? And make real money, right? That's a, that's like a, now a real career path that you can take. But the thing that a lot of people don't don't see is, again, the work, that people put in. There's a guy right now named Josh Richards, I believe, who is an influencer. He's like the biggest influence, one of the biggest influencers on TikTok, etc. And the guy is only like 19 years old, I think, 18, 19 years old. And I was listening to a podcast with Ed Milet. And first of all, he's an incredibly well-spoken individual, has a lot of business prowess and, you know, just for his age. And what he's been able to do on social media is incredible, right? But he's talking about literally spending, you know, 15 hours a day or some like ridiculous number like that creating content streaming on tiktok etc right like do you think just because he was on social media that it wasn't hard work no of course it was did he enjoy it probably did he enjoy it 100 percent of the time no but i think i think what a lot of people don't realize is, is that you need to you know there, there's got to be a dose of practicality in it so if you want to go do something that you're going to have you know that you would deem as fun right it's going to be hard work no matter what you decide to do but at the same time, if you want to, you know, live a lifestyle and you have the realization that this thing that we love so much isn't going to be able to provide the lifestyle that I want, you know, for myself from a monetary standpoint, let me take the things that I enjoy out of it. Perhaps maybe not scale it to the moment, you know, the momentum that I would like to, but get it to a place that I can actively do it and still provide and have it be part of my life and enjoy it while I still have a full time job and role that can provide me the money and the resources and the time off to also go do the other things that I enjoy as well. So I think that I love just the holistic approach that you take to designing your life. Um, what advice, how do you design your life now? Like what's the vision that you're either working toward that you've realized or that you're working toward in designing your life and how are you going about doing that? Oh, I love this one. Um, okay. Key principles for me. Um, a couple, a couple important ones. Um, you know, it's, a, you know, it's going to be like a knowledge bomb when you say key principles. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one, one step too far on that. I did. Um, no, but, but you know, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this, right? Um, I think that for me, a, a very good, like balanced, you know, life, if you will, or harmonious life is, uh, is, is really a, ni a nice, like combination between like groundedness like being okay and grateful for what you have, right? Being okay with and grateful for what you have. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of like expecting less comes, it comes in many different facets, like lowering like the things I want, like expenses, even to a degree, like experiences and kind of like just being okay with everything that I have in my life right now. And then excitement, you know, the occasional, like, you know, bigger adventure or, um, or even just trying to, you know, get excited about, uh, somewhat like mundane things, you know, like good example yeah. is, you know, and, and again, tying this back to some soccer, like I get really excited when I go to play soccer with my friends on a weeknight now. Um, and, and, yeah. and I love that, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's silly when, when you've, you know, uh, had such grandiose, large experiences, uh, to say that, but I, I think that's pretty beautiful. So, so for me, it's, you know, designing in, uh, enough excitement, 
uh, paired with a lot of groundedness, um, you know, and, and practically like also like what that looks like, if you look at like a day to day, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of blocking time for, for myself to think, to journal, uh, to get outside and, and exercise. And I love to ride bikes. So I'm, I'm always out either mountain biking or, or road biking, um, time with, with, you know, my girlfriend, time with my family, um, and, and friends. So it's, you know, it seems like a pretty healthy lifestyle, you know, of course it's not perfect. It's a roller coaster ride, you know, as, as everybody yeah. has, but, um, but it's the, uh, definitely uh, very enjoyable and, and I'm grateful for that. Talk to me a little bit, you know, I, I think this combination of groundedness and excitement is something that, um, is really interesting. And, and, and I want to dig into that just a little bit more. Um, you sent me a book recommendation a little while ago because, you know, we text all the time, even though we don't see each other as much as we probably like, you know, we're still in constant, you know, communication, right? Um, and the book was actually centered around groundedness. It's actually on my night table over there. Um, and I don't, ha- I'm not going to go get it right now, but I forget the title of it, but I know that it's by, um, uh, Studelberg, right? Brad Studelberg, yep. I think his name is. What's the title of the book and how, how much has that influenced your, you know, your, your, your ideas around groundedness? What have you learned from that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's called, um, the practice of groundedness. Really good yep. book. Um, you know, it, <laughs> I love, I love the writing. I love the book. Uh, author is also, a, you know, he's a friend of mine too. Um, and so, so it was amazing, but I will say that the, just the, the principles that, that that book kind of unlocked for me, um, got me thinking and, and I started to pull in like a lot of other resources that I've, I've consumed over the years. Right. Mm. You start to like think about things in a little bit of a different lens. And I was able to pull some knowledge that kind of related to the subject of groundedness um, awesome. but, but, I, but I truly feel like just, uh, like where, where I'm at now too. And, you know, if you ask the 22 year old version of myself, um, you know, what I wanted in life, I would have told you that I wanted to be a successful entrepreneur, you know, having, having an awesome company, uh, doing all of these cool things. Right. Um, that's just the way I think that, that I was wired, you know, through my experiences. Yeah. If you ask me now, like I'm, I'm much more interested in, uh, in, in, in groundedness, meaning like having strong roots, um, right. And, and that's just like the things I care about now more than, than others, health, uh, strong community, right. Um, making time for, uh, the things that, that I love to do. And, and a lot of things that I love, I'm very fortunate the things that I love to do are often tied to getting outside into nature. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> spend, spending time again with friends, my, my dog. Right. Um, so, so it's a lot of like lowering expectations, lowering spending, uh, and, and practicing just being okay with what you have. And, and, you know, there's a lot of like, there's mindfulness components where, you know, you're, yeah. you're just able to kind of like, uh, to just be happy as, as you are. Right. Um, yeah. so that's, that's kind of where I pull in a lot of that, that, that groundedness. That's awesome. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, a tangential sort of piece of wisdom that I pulled from a book actually by the same entrepreneur that I mentioned earlier. Um, it's called happy, sexy millionaire is the book. Um, and it's a uh, secrets to fulfillment, success and love, I believe, I think is the last one. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the book in my, my book stack over here. I read it earlier this year and kind of the key point in the book. Um, it's by Stephen Bartlett again, just to kind of plug him, I guess. Um, Stephen, if you're watching this, uh, come on the podcast as a guest. <laughs> um, I'm going to try and get him for the hundredth episode actually. But anyway, getting back to the book, um, he, uh, he said, basically, um, if you can, the, the, the basis and the foundation for every, for, for your happiness, for, you know, chasing after the things that you want, et cetera, is 
the 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 thought and the realization that you are already enough. Love that. Basically, as you are, and it's interesting by by in realize, and I just read this on social media too. I ironically enough saw that post, but if you can realize that you are already enough as you are, then it's the key to pursuing the things that genuinely matter to you and finding happiness in that pursuit versus what a lot of people think in real, you know, in, in realizing that you are already enough. They think that that means that it's going to undercut your ambitions, right? And I think that that is the that's the most beautiful thing about what you just said is that in becoming grounded and, gra- and grateful and happy with you as you are right now and everything that you have in your life right now, it's setting yourself up to be able to also then you know pursue the things that genuinely matter to you and be happy in that pursuit, right? Totally. Um, I, I I could I could not have summed it up better. That's such a great point, uh, and that, this is why we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> We and by the way, people, we have this. We have Nick and I have these conversations all the time. If you're listening to this, this could just be any normal conversation that we have together while hiking. Um, I know we're coming up on just a little over an hour of this conversation, uh, and so I kind of want to start to wind it down a little bit. Um, and so I'm, I have two more questions. Um, if someone came to you, no matter who they are, but let's just say maybe it's like you know someone in college or recently out of college, and they said, Nick, um, I want to do what you do in terms of designing my life, what advice would you give to that person to help them design their life? Like practical advice, either on a day-to-day basis or on a level of vision. How would you help them um, figure out, not to necessarily operate in your principles, but to find their own and then create their life, you know, to map out to those ambitions and values? Totally going to contradict everything that I just said. I think that the, (laughs) I really do think that the key uh, to being able to kind of design your life uh, and I'm sure there's some bias in here just based on my experiences. Um, I think starting a, starting a project, some sort of project, I'm not even going to call it like a business or startup. It doesn't really matter because, of course, it's going to be very different based on your field of, of, of study or interest, anything. But starting something uh, in general and like and having something to show for it, right? And, and really just going like all in on, on some sort of like ambitious project, um, I think that would, would basically, if you're, if you're trying to get to a point in which you can design your life quicker, I think that will help you cut a corner. And, and I say that because you know, even uh, just jumping headfirst into what we did with Universal Dialect, um, that unlocked the door to you know the, the amazing opportunity that I, that I have now in my current role. Right. Uh, and, and, and if I did not have that under my belt, even if I worked at you know Airbnb, top startup, right? Bloomberg, great big financial company, right? That a lot of people do want to work at. Um, I would never have landed this job without uh, executing on on that side project, right? So I would say spin up a side project, um, you know, and, and and kind of create something awesome that you're proud of. Um, I think that's the quickest way to to being able to do what you love. Man, I love that. One thing I want to pull out of there. First of all, I, we could mic drop right now, leave this interview, and you would have given everyone like some you know incredible wisdom about being able to design their life. Um, Something that I want to pull out of there that you just said, though, was an incredible nugget. And it was just about that piece of being able to um, to start something, right? Because sometimes you need to, you know, bite off more than you can chew in order to figure out how much you can chew or how much you want to chew, right? And I say that because um, I had the exact same trajectory, not in starting something of my own. Perhaps maybe I will find that out with this podcast. Who knows? Um, but... Uh, I, you know, bit off more than I could chew in, you know, one of my first jobs that I had, right? It was, it was a lot of work. 
Um, and I put it in all that work. And, and when I got out of it, I, I said, you know what, I think I want to try and scale it back a little bit, right? I want to, you know, be in a position that where I still work hard and I still care about the work that I'm doing. But at the same time, I can go home and perhaps maybe close the laptop, you know, at 6pm and not worry about the inbox or Slack or, you know, just ideas that I have for the company until the next day. Um, and that's something that I think I bit off a little bit more than I could chew or wanted to chew. And so I completely agree with your, your, you know, your advice there. I think it's incredible. Um, I'm trying to end every interview like this. And so like the last question that I have, um, is coming up. But before I do that, I just kind of want to acknowledge you, Nick. Thank you for being um, brutally honest in a lot of senses. Thank you for showing up at 7.30 p.m. on a Tuesday night to film uh, you know, a podcast that um, is going to be the second episode and doesn't have a built-in audience yet. I really appreciate it. Um, and I just appreciate you as a friend, man. Um, you're honest, you're truthful, um, and you uh, are such a giving person. And I'm just grateful to have you in my, in my sphere and, and in my world. So I really appreciate it. And I, I appreciate you having me on, Dan. This has been this has been a blast, um, you know. And, and I obviously uh, I'm, I'm humbled to be on as well. Uh, you know, it's it's a uh, it's like it's such a good feeling to to have such a close friend, you know, trying to do something amazing for the world and help a lot of people too. Um, so and and again, you know, we've had so many of these fun conversations offline. Uh, so it's it's really yeah. fun to do this and record, you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think this this project that you're running is going to. Uh, absolutely blow up and it, it deserves to, to be, you know, some, something really big. And I'm, I'm proud of you. Dude, thank you so much, man. All right. Last question before we get you out of here. And I'm going to try and end every interview on this question uh, and we'll see how it goes over. A um, little bit of an experiment here. Um, how do you define growth? I define growth in general as experimentation into a place where you're pretty satisfied and content. Um, so, you know, I, I come from a growth marketing background, of course. So iteration, yes. right. And, and experimentation is, is very key. Um, but I love like just running experiments with your life, right. And, uh, finding out like what works for you. Right. But then like, as opposed to growth marketing in life, I think it shouldn't stop, you know, just cold. Um, but I think it, it can slow down. Right. Um, so I love like testing to a point where you're, you're pretty damn happy and then, you know, and then kind of laying off it a bit and just being a little bit more content with what you have. Um, so that, that, that's growth to me, right? Um, slow, steady growth, but it's, it's growth the right way. Um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that type of growth. Nick Costello, thank you so much for your time today, man. I really appreciate it. And I cannot wait to have you back on at some point, uh, hopefully in the near future. Thank would, would you for to. this conversation. And um, I can't wait to, uh, to uh, see it launch. I appreciate you, Dan. Thanks, man. Thank you, brother. Have a great one. Hey, guys. Thank you so incredibly much for tuning into today's episode. It means the world to me, and I am so grateful for you and any member of this audience. If you found today's episode valuable, go over to Apple Podcasts and drop us a five-star review and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Remember, you are worthy, you are valuable, and you are already enough. Let's go out there and grow together.